0: Chapter 9 of Helen Lester. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Helen Lester by Pansy. Chapter 9 Captain Fred Fred had fairly started, now, on the right road. He had learned to pray, and a boy who every day asks God to help him cannot go very far wrong. But he found it hard work. He had been a leader among the boys for so long that they looked to him to start fresh fun, as they called their wild frolics. Long before, they had named him Captain, and a merry one he had made them. He wondered when they would discover the new road he had taken. He wished a great many times that they all knew it, but for a week or two nothing happened that called for him to take a stand on the other side. It's got to come, he said to himself one cold morning, as he laid his books on his desk and joined a crowd of boys around the stove in the recitation room. They had been shouting to him to hurry ever since he first appeared at the door some ten minutes before. It's got to come, and I may as well have it now as any time. There's mischief ahead, I see. So, Fred Lester, show yourself a man, anyhow, a boy who is not ashamed of his new principles. Come, Captain, said Harry Fletcher, how dreadfully slow you are this cold morning. Do you know your Latin? Because it's a pity if you do, for we're excused this morning. This speech was greeted with shouts of laughter. That is, continued Harry. We're going to be, but listen to our plan. Will just stepped into our store as we passed and helped himself to a pound or so of their best pepper. You know it's pretty cold, and we wanted to heat the room up well for the old gentleman. Will says he got the pepper, and you may have the honor of scattering it. You do it so well, you know. So now. Go ahead. Spread it on good and thick. The stove is red-hot. And then, says I, the way we'll read Virgil this morning will be slower than usual. Of course, when the old feller comes, none of us will have the least kind of a notion who did it. Do you take, Captain? No, I don't, said Fred promptly. What? exclaimed Will. You won't do it? Not a bit. Oh, ho. The captain's turned coward, said another. He's afraid he'll get found out. A great deal of laughing and shouting followed. Two or three repeated the word coward loud enough for Fred to hear, and a bright spot was growing on his cheek. Suddenly he sprang upon the stage. Look here, boys, I want to make a speech. A speech, cried one. Good, yelled another, and all crowded around to listen. Go it, captain said Harry Fletcher. Now, boys, you know I've always been with you in all sorts of frolic, right or wrong. That's a fact, said Ned Gray. Bah, said Will Fletcher. Attention, screamed Harry. Listen to the speaker. Well, continued Fred, I've had something that I wanted to tell you for more than a week. I'm glad I've got a chance to say it today. It's just this. I've turned right square round and now I'm going to travel this road, if I can. And Fred turned himself round and took two or three steps toward the right. I've enlisted, boys. I've got a new captain, and a great one, and I'm going to try to serve him well. Parson Lester, said one of the boys with a low bow. How dreadfully sudden he has got good, said Will Fletcher in his most sneering tone. How did it happen, Parson? "'Come, tell us.' Fred turned toward him. "'Will, if by getting good you mean that I've resolved to be a Christian and to serve Christ all the rest of my life with his help, that's just what I mean to do, and I don't think I'm ashamed of it, either.' "'Bravo!' exclaimed Harry Fletcher. "'I say, Fred Lester's not a coward. Anyhow, three cheers for Captain Lester,' said one of the older boys, coming in at that moment.' and, supposing that Fred had been making one of his comical speeches, they were given by most of the boys with great glee. In the midst of the uproar, their professor entered. The bell rang, and the boys all moved toward the chapel. The pepper lay safely stowed away in Will Fletcher's overcoat pocket that morning, and most of the boys respected their young captain. Nevertheless, it was hard. There were hundreds of petty tricks played on him. That tempted him to lose his temper and show his strength. He came home from school one afternoon with a very tired and a very gloomy look. Well, said Cleveland, who was passing through the hall, and met him with a smile. How does it go? It's pretty hard work, Cleveland, and that's the whole of it. I feel half discouraged when a boy makes you mad. It's a good deal easier to pitch him over the fence than to think of a soft answer to give him. Of course it is. It's a good deal easier to do wrong than right, always. But, Fred, how can you get discouraged? You remember? To him that overcometh. I know, said Fred, looking back and returning his brother's smile as he passed up the stairs. Do you really think that a man can't be a Christian if he drinks liquor of any sort, Cleveland? Asked Fred that afternoon, just before dinner. Not that, quite, because a man may be a Christian and yet commits sin. But if you mean, do I think it is wrong for a Christian man to drink liquor because he likes it? Yes, I do. Well, hang it. What can a fellow do? Fred, are these expressions which you so often use, really necessary. Fred sighed and then laughed. Is that wrong, too? he asked, and both went to the dining room in answer to the bell. Fred generally did a thing promptly when he had made up his mind. None for me, Tom, he said to the waiter who was passing the wine. His father glanced up. Another convert? he asked with a slight curl of his lip. I presume we shall have all my family signing the temperance pledge soon. Oh, Papa, would you too? Asked little Eddie, eagerly, who had heard from Cleveland all about temperance pledges, and whose interest in the temperance cause was really wonderful. Not at present, my boy. I don't feel in any special danger. Oh, Papa, I think you might do it for me. And then, you know, about the serpent. Hush, Eddie said his father sternly. Little boys should not talk so much. One thing concerning Fred troubled his brother. Those cigars. He felt as though he could not have his young brother grow up a slave to a cigar. He thought about it a great deal. What could he say to convince Fred that smoking was, at least, an evil? How he had learned to smoke at such an early age. All boys who have grown up near large cities and then allowed to do very nearly as they please, will readily understand. It was more than a week after the wine had been given up that Cleveland, sitting in the library just at twilight, saw his brother on the piazza, cigar in hand. He started up and appeared in the door just as Fred was about to strike a match. He shook his head with a quiet smile. Don't do it, Fred. Give that up. Well, hang it. Oh, Fred. The Dickens. No, not that, either. I mean, what's going to become of a fellow if he can't smoke? Is that all there is left to do? Asked Cleveland, still smiling, but receiving no answer. And seeing that his brother looked just a little vexed, he added, Seriously, Fred, if I can give you two good reasons why smoking is, to say the least no wise, will you give it up? Fudge, yes, I will. Fred's tones were rather crusty. You remember the deep pits we saw the other day when we were out riding? Did you observe the narrow boards which were laid across them to measure their width? Of course, said Fred sullenly. Did you ever try to walk across one of them? What a question. Of course I didn't. Why not? <laughs> I ain't such a simpleton. I'd have been more likely to find myself at the bottom than anywhere else. I'd like to know what you're driving at, but you might have crossed in safety. And then, again, I might not. And what in 60 would I want to go across for? Anyhow, I wouldn't have gained anything. That's just the way I argue about smoking. I tell you, Fred, there are hundreds and hundreds of young men who have commenced with smoking and have tumbled into the pit of drunkenness before they were half way across. It's a dangerous road. It is well known that the indulgement of the one appetite creates a taste for the other. Besides, suppose you do happen to cross the pit in safety, what have you gained? I'm not afraid of being a drunkard, said Fred in a very contemptuous tone. No one ever was Fred. If people only were afraid, we should have no drunkards. but do you think that we who pray every day? Lead us not into temptation. Have a right to say any such thing? To this he received no answer, only Fred said, presently, in a quiet tone. That's only one reason. Anyhow, you want another? Well, did you ever jump across that stream at the foot of the lawn? Lots of times it's a very easy matter for you. But what if sickly little Freddy Farnham should attempt it? He'd pitch in. Likely. I presume he would, and there are plenty of Freddie Farnhams in the world. Plenty of boys to whom cigars light the way to the barroom. Now, one question more. Suppose you were walking on the bank of the stream with Freddie Farnham beside you, and you thought quite likely that. If you showed your skill in jumping it, he would try it, too, and would, most likely, get drowned. Would you do it? No, was Fred's prompt answer, though in a tone that plainly said he knew that he was talking right against his side of the argument. Not another word, said Cleveland. He leaned against one of the pillars with folded arms and watched his brother's face. Fred still held the cigar in his hand. He eyed it closely for a moment. Then he put that and both hands into his pockets and whistled Yankee Doodle quite softly. Then he broke off sweet briar leaves from the bush and strewed them over the piazza. Presently he, too, folded his arms and remained still. Slowly his face settled into a fixed resolve. Out came the cigar again and three others with it and, leaning over the railing, he took a steady aim. They plashed in the water only a few feet from him and the merry little brook carried them away. What a sudden glow of pleasure lighted up Cleveland's face. "'Bravely done, my brother,' he said earnestly, as his hand rested for a moment on Fred's shoulder. Then, turning, he lifted little Eddie, who had come to say goodnight, and carried him to the other end of the piazza to see the evening star. "'Do they have stars in heaven?' asked the little boy. They say the angels wear starry crowns, you know. Well, Cleveland, do you think he'll give me one? I hope so, Eddie. End of chapter nine.